This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, the NTSB tells us what happened with that fatal icon crash. And we learn about ASI's yearly NAL report, which was just released. Also, taxpayers, get out your pocketbooks. ATC privatization will cost you. And some good news from the Gamma Aviation Aircraft Sales Reports. Oh, sounds good, Dave. You ready to do Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, Ian. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And David, um, tell us who we're, who we're going to talk to this week, because th- this is all you, man. All right. Well, we uh, er, most of the country experienced the total solar eclipse in one way or the other. And we got Kristen Erickson to uh, talk to us. Kristen is NASA's Science Community Outreach Director, and I tracked her down at Madras, Oregon, where she was leading a group of outreach scientists, including high school kids, doing STEM research, science, oh, cool. technology, engineering, and math. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna start depressing and move up to the positive okay, stuff. We'll then do it that way. Let's go. <laughs> uh, all right. So NTSB, we you know we talked about this a couple months ago. It actually didn't even happen that long ago. It was it was earlier this spring, May eighth. Um, that icon, first fatal icon accident yes. with the icon employee um, designer out uh, at their facility in California. Sad news. And um, amazingly, and, and there's a kind of a story in and of itself here, uh, they've come out with a probable cause already. Pretty quickly on that. And the company has been rather transparent on this as well. That's a, a pleasant change. Yeah, it is. And so from, um, a, from other companies and other tragedies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, long story short, um, pilot error, unfortunately. Yeah. So uh, the details, I think you have them all, Ian, but uh, I read briefly that it was a a canyon that they ventured into, and it was uh, just the wrong canyon at the wrong time. Yeah, you got it. Uh, A little bit of low flying. Yeah. Turned down a canyon. um, Box Canyon got caught, didn't make the turn, and that was it. Uh, Sorry to hear about that. On on the up and up, though, the company has been transparent, and like we said a few minutes ago, and it doesn't look like the aircraft was at fault. 
No, and in fact, I guess one of the reasons they know that is, you know, and there was, remember when the contract came out, there was, we talked about this. There was a lot of controversy about yeah. that, that contract and some of the, the safety items that they wanted to implement for everybody. Yeah, one of those being the data recorder, yeah. which turns out to have informed NTSB's work on this and, yeah. and come to a pretty quick conclusion that the airplane uh, seemed to be operating just fine. That's an interesting way of using that data, you yeah. know, and uh, I know that I fly with a PDA that's got, you know, some flight information on it too and it's available to other folks as well i guess if yeah. someone really wanted to dig into my four flight they could yeah yeah so, sure that's true that's not an unusual thing yeah so speaking of accidents um the null report so the null report yeah this is something that uh, the asi comes up with uh yearly this is our uh, aopa air safety institute and it's a usually really big deal when it's released because this is sort of the overall report card for um all of ga throughout yeah. the year yeah. and we want to see where our activity is and where our um, accident coherence is like are we paying attention to things that we know can now get us into trouble or not yeah every year we go through this and um, like you're saying it's, it's kind of a one of a kind I mean really nobody else delves into this safety data right. like, like we do and then publish this on a yearly basis. And so I, I would say good news, bad news on this report. And this is the 26th Joseph T. Nall in ALL oh. report. Oh, wow. There we go. So the weird thing about this is because of, you know, we were just talking about how the NTSB probable cause yeah. on, on ICON was fast. It because was fast. A, a lot of them take a, more, a year or more. This is a little confusing. The 2017 reports dealing with 2014 data, right? Because they're still cr they were crunching the numbers for a pretty long time. Yeah, absolutely. Waiting on NTSB final determinations and things like that. So uh, top line here is 952 non-commercial fixed wing accidents in 2014, mm -hmm. which was down about nine from 2013. So that's great. A little bit down. Yep. Um, even though flight activity, another good point, was up a little bit. So the activity was up, overall accidents were down, and that would seem like a silver lining to the cloud. Yeah. But we were just chatting about this. The one thing that, that looks incongruous is that fatalities were up. Yeah, by 15 or 5%. And it's unfortunately, it's then that non-commercial flying. So this, yeah. uh, the NAR report also looks at sort of, you know, quote unquote, commercial private flying. So, you know, like charters and stuff like that, non-airline commercial flying. And that did really well. But unfortunately, private flying, um, which is what obviously we're most concerned about, did not do so well. You know, Ian, we still see the classic base turn into final spin. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, even in, uh, in uh, Madras, Oregon, Leading up to Eclipse, we had what appeared to be something like that as well. I heard that. Yeah, yeah. and so it, it's that. <clears throat> that's one of the things that you know, even though we do have a lot of modern technology in our cockpits, and uh, we're able to see, you know, synthetic vision, and we have a lot more information. Even still, we have to remember always to aviate first, fly the plane first, then navigate, then communicate. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, Richard McSpadden, the executive director of ASI, he had this great quote. He says, you know, the overwhelming majority of these accidents are avoidable. So if we can convince more pilots to access safety information, we can drive the accident rate even lower and save lives, which is so true. I agree. And do you think that maybe with um, with uh, the lightning up of FAA, a little bit of them you know, getting some non-TSO stuff in the cockpits, we talked a little bit about this, that some of that equipment might help the accident rates go down in the future? You you got to think so. I, I mean, hope. as AOA proliferates yeah, the, a little more. Yeah, and, the angle um, of attack indicators. I mean, that kind of thing. That's relatively new technology. Yeah. Um, digital fuel senders being more available, I think. That's a great you know? idea. Um, all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, synthetic vision, you know, I, I'm not to advocate, you You know, you still need to pay attention to minimums and be IFR, you know, 
certified yeah. and rated and yeah. current. But nonetheless, things like that, uh, we didn't have 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, hit, hitting a mountain was a lot, probably a lot easier to do back in the day. Yeah, no question. No question. So, yeah, we need to um, pay attention to our safety uh, equipment that's out there, plus all the excellent courses that uh, the ASI has and provides for us. I mean, a good pilot's always learning. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, so check that out on the website, the NAL report. Really interesting reading in there and uh, goes into all the different categories of accidents and what we're having and why and goes into some case studies and stuff like that. So it's it's good stuff. Oh, well, let's move from the depressing stuff to more depressing stuff. Yeah. So ATC privatization uh, feels like we got to talk about this uh, every time. But now there there's there is news in this. Uh, Do you see this there? So there's a new CBO report, the Congressional Budget Office. Um, they kind of underestimated how much it would yeah. cost for private privatization <laughs> yeah. of ATC. They kind of underestimated by just a skosh. Just, just a little. That's how we say it in the South, just a skosh. Yeah, so right. the, the initial uh, estimate was $20 billion, with a B that it would cost, uh, that privatization would cost to the bottom line. And now reality, saying, reality check is? Almost $100 <laughs> billion. Dollars. Five times more. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Billion dollars. That's a lot of equipment someone's going to get for free. Yeah. Hopefully not. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, uh, so we need yeah. to mobilize even further. Yeah, you got it. This. I th- you know, with all the pilots that we talked to recently, no one has really been for this. None of the GA crowd that I've talked to. Yeah. And, and I had, you know, when I'm out and about at our fly-ins or just chatting with other pilots, People are very complimentary about ATC yeah. and the work oh, that they totally do. Oh, I totally agree. And so that's sort of, a, 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 there's really no problem there. There's really nothing that needs to be fixed. Yeah. It's funny, you know, you, um, and I understand that people who, they want smaller government, they think they think they heard the word privatization and they're like, oh, well, obviously privatization sure. has got to be a good thing, More right? competition, sure. That's yeah. what you normally would think. But the thing is, this is not, as we as we heard Jim Kuhn say, it's not privatization. It's right. it's just a monopolization of someone's the ATC gonna, service. Someone's going to get all that equipment. Yeah, you know. it's just a giveaway. Well, put it this way. We are stomping our feet to make sure no one does get that yeah, that's handed right. to them because that would just be a travesty. Um, it works so well in the United States. And we also, um, we see and we talk to other pilots that live in Europe and around the world, and they are just adamant about not having, you know, privatized ATC. They said it cost them a lot of money out of their pocket. And really, that could lead to some, that could probably lead to an inverse in safety. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I totally agree. You know, a lot of pilots are kind of, I don't know, I don't want to call them cheap, but let's say economical. <laughs> That's right. And if it costs a couple of bucks to file a VFR flight plan, they might say, ah, oh, what the heck, let's not. Yeah. And then at the end, that would cost more to do search and rescue operations should anything go wrong. So really, it just seems like a, a poor idea. And $100 billion off, that's kind of a lot. Yeah, it is. Or $80 so, billion dollars off of, from $100 billion. It is. It is. So we've got a couple of resources on the website. Check it out. Um, just go to AOPA.org. Up in the top left, there's a little tab that says uh, privatization. Click on it. And um, it'll, that, that checklist. Yes. That's so, really cool. So it'll bring you to this emergency. It, it's Basically, it talks all about the issue. And, and you can show it to your friends and neighbors and get them on board as well. Because the thing is, this is not just limited to pilots. It's this issue. This is right. Everyone who's ever flown on an the airline, traveling or public, uses yeah, the system. Everything else, they're going to be uh, they're going to be jammed just as much as anyone else uh, flying GA. Yeah, it's going to be a it would seem to be an overall bad deal for everybody. Yeah. in any kind of air scenario. Yeah, so go on there. You can find and so we have that the issue laid out in an emergency checklist. Find that, and um, also there's a little link there on how to contact your congressman to um, let uh, him or her know that man you're against this. 
So that emergency checklist is a really cool thing. We've got checklists for everything else. And why not have one uh, against uh, ATC privatization? I like it. Yeah, great. Uh, okay, so gamma numbers. Good news. Yes. Thankfully. Awesome news. This was a really pleasant surprise. <laughs> So g- give us the headline on this. Well, it looks like that um, in general, um, this, the industry has a little bit to celebrate here. We've got you know piston airplane uh, sales up by about over 5%. Yeah. And I think that's a, the, a pretty good thing to celebrate. Yeah. And um, I was surprised at a couple of the different manufacturers that were having success. You actually pointed one out to me that we don't talk about enough and that was diamond yeah i was really surprised too um gamma's got you know they break it down by manufacturer so you can oh and we should explain this. the gamma is the general aviation manufacturers association for yep. podcast listeners that might not be 100 percent familiar yep so they track all the deliveries of all the ga aircraft manufacturers so, and um so diamond uh they they sold oh, 46 aircraft in quarter two yeah more than double from quarter one that's amazing that's great for them that is really good Really good. And um, they have uh, the C1, which is a two-person airplane. Yep. And they also have the DA40s, 42s, and 62s. Yep. And they're doing well on the 42s and 62s, actually. You look at those 42s. They put 14 of those out the door. That's so amazing. Total is 26 twins That's in one quarter. Nice. That's really good. Those are cool-looking airplanes. Yeah, they are cool. Have you flown one? Uh, I've flown the 42, not the 62. What'd you think? So diesel engines? Yeah. It's like... Fadec, you got the you know the push single button lever. run up, uh-huh. single lever. It's like burning like eleven gallons up at altitude. It's awesome. That's Love really it. neat. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, speaking of awesome, so Cirrus is still doing awesome. Yep. And um, the the interesting highlight to to the report on Cirrus that there are two of their SF fifty jets that have been sold now. Yep. So two in the field. It's funny because you see them everywhere, but it's like a lot obviously still with the manufacturer. Right. So two to customers. So that's, that's good. That's pretty neat. And that's they, a good start. And they also pushed out fifty of the SR twenty two Ts and thirty of the SR twenty twos and even. 12 with SR20s, which is kind of, I can almost afford to use one of those. <laughs> I, well, it's so true, actually. If you go on and look at used values of like early SR22s uh-huh. compared to what they were new, it's like you're getting a bargain you these are. days. So. It still has a you know digital cockpit. It's yeah. pretty cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That was neat. Uh, what else did you like in there? I like the fact that I saw Piper making a resurgence here a little bit. They've got uh, a dozen of the Archer 3s that have gone out the door. Mm-hmm. they got 32 overall units that have been sold this quarter. And then you and I both took a look at Textron and Cessna. Yeah. And there were a couple of interesting things about that. Yeah, there were. Um, the TTX, which I've always been a huge fan of, and but has never really found a market. Okay. They, uh, they put seven of those out the door. That's pretty good. And this is the low-wing hot rod. The, yeah, the Speedster. Yeah. Yep. yep, used to be the Columbia. Yeah, that's uh, seven of those. So I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot more than they've done in the past. So that's great. Love that. that. That was neat. And then you and I both were impressed with the fact that the Grand Caravan EX, 13 of those have been, have been put out the door and sold. Yeah. And, and what would people normally use? that particular aircraft for you and that well of course that was what the you know that's what launched the feeder fedex service Um, for real so i'm not sure how many of those are you know sort of refurbing that fleet or maybe private operators interestingly the the ex 13 of those out the door one of the regular caravans the 208s not the 208bs so that's interesting yeah so people like those grand caravans a lot more probably carry a lot more weight a little bit a little more powerful a lot more powerful yeah so, you know what's interesting, too? Um, and we were talking about this. Mooney. So oh, I, I was looking at this before they issued the second quarters. Yeah. And looking at the first quarters. And, you know, in the first... So, 
putting this in context, okay. Mooney is like, they're putting out ads, they're putting out press releases. They're like, we're all in. We've got this these new airplanes that are certified. We got double doors. This right. is a big deal. We've we're, changed the design a little bit. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, like my, we're investing yeah. in the company. We're doing awesome. Two airplanes in quarter one. In quarter one and in quarter, zero yeah. goose egg in quarter two. Yeah. Two airplanes so far this year. That's hard to keep a. Fa- it is very hard to keep a factory going with just two aircraft sales. Yeah. So you got to ask yourself what is going on there. And I'm a former Mooney owner, and I am pulling for these guys. They've been up and down through their entire career. Yeah. Um, but they've they've never totally shut the doors, as far as I know. There's always someone there to answer the phones. Yeah. And also fill those su- parts orders, supply the parts. That's yeah. right. You got to yeah. get got to get those rubber shock donuts from somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was I was surprised to see that. And I also, unless it's incorrect, I see I don't see anything on in the um, the malls from Georgia. Yeah, and uh, that's normally a pretty decent airplane. You see a lot of people doing backcountry with that, and yeah. uh, a decent little you know GA airplane. Yep, I didn't see much of that. But I was surprised to see a lot of ag sales. Yeah, that's a, still a really strong sector. Thrush did real well with that. Yep, they yep. have seven units that they sold, and these are two. You know, these are expensive aircraft, about a million each. Yeah, for agricultural uh, use in that industry. Yep. So they're doing well. It's, you know, it's a little concerning the smaller sort of niche manufacturers. Um, Waco, you know, the Great Lakes and the Waco, they only put out two in the first quarter, one in the second quarter. It's like you, you, you're you hoping they're putting out more. Yeah, you're pulling for the people like that that do quality work. But on, yeah. on the flip side of that, Cub Crafters is still doing pretty good. Yeah, They had t- nine total units out the door in quarter two, and that's compared to seven in the first quarter. So really, hmm. a slow and steady, but it, it they're out there. Yeah, And people like that aircraft. So interesting numbers. I, you know, good news total, all around um you know not great for a few always going to be some winners and losers but uh, good to see people uh, charging forward there and some real activity yeah so so uh coming soon to a ramp near you yeah near so <laughs> so speaking of lots of activity tell me about the eclipse this was all anybody's talking about this week you know we had teams all over the country and just ha- heard incredible stories back saw some great photos so you were in Oregon. I was in Madras, Oregon. Yeah. And it was great. Speaking of ramps full, they had 400 aircraft that had come into town for that. And folks came in from California, Washington State, Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming. They, they mm, all kind cool. of, that little city in uh, Oregon only usually has about 6,500 people. Mm. So it's, this was a huge influx. Yeah. And aviators, non-aviators alike were there. So what was cool for me to see in particular was the fact that we had airports and airfields around this path of totality that went throughout the country opening their arms and their doors to non-aviators alike. Mm. There were a line there was a line of people going through the FBO just simply to use the restroom and <laughs> get some coffee and stuff but yeah. they were introduced to aviation yeah. that way. Yeah. In fact there was one uh, young lady I talked to that she was invited up because some friends of hers were aviators. Hmm. So they said, hey, meet us at, uh, at Madras, Oregon, and let's uh, hang out together and watch the eclipse. And I went up and talked to her. She was doing a little yoga in the morning nice. you know, with Mount Hood in the background. It's a killer, nice. killer photo. Yeah. And so, uh, and she said, you know what? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to fly after this. Wow. So that's what was that's cool great. about that's it. That's great. Uh, a lot of folks were camping outside the air, airport grounds themselves, but close enough to hang out and use some of the facilities. So I was in Oregon with Paul Harrop from our live show, and it was just a hotbed of activity. And they did have beautiful weather. 
and there was just a lot going on there. The airport did something that we would like to see other airports do. They turned a hangar into sort of a base of operations. They had a live band there. Oh, cool. They had food nearby. You can buy some solar eclipse t-shirts. And uh, and they had, you know, vendors, you know, food trucks and whatnot. So really everyone was in good shape. As far as I can tell, they did not run out of food and water. Oh, that's just, important. Despite the it's predictions. Like, you know, you talk to Chris Eads and it's like folks who do events and it's like yeah. food, water, bathrooms. Oh, bathrooms apparently you get were those number one. covered and it's like you're good, right? So apparently a couple of people that were planning for this, the first uh, thing that they asked was, uh, okay, so what's your restroom plan yeah you know, people that wanted to do to do these events yeah and then uh you know porta potties were you know huge wish list item yeah i bet um but yeah they pulled it off pretty good in oregon and uh, so we were there that was really interesting and uh i had never i guess i had seen a, a total eclipse back uh, when i was in atlanta um but i didn't really know what i was looking at hmm. and, and i didn't really i wasn't really equipped for it either reference wise or for the event itself and i oh, can't okay. remember how long it lasted it was short but this one was about two minutes in Oregon. You want me to tell you kind of how it looked? I want to. I want to hear it because it's so, like I, I haven't seen one, and so it I, was so neat. Like, did you see you know spooky things yeah, or what? Yeah, you know, what there was, was it? a lot of spooky stuff. Yeah. Well, first thing that wasn't spooky was that aviators were there and they're helping each other out. There was uh, a couple folks there, including uh, Michael uh, Magris, that was doing a play by play. He was an astronomer like an amateur astronomer and also a Cessna pilot. He was great help. Hmm. He did a little play-by-play. And so when the, when the moon took the first little bite, as they call it, out of the sun, like a cheer went up. And uh, people oh, got wow. quiet because they've been chatting and all, and they yeah. got quiet on the flight line. And um, and so then it took a pretty good while for the uh, moon to completely cover the sun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as it got closer and closer to that, Ian, the sky turned a steely gray, hmm. like a hard gray. And the ground was like a hard gray, not the kind of light that you would see in the morning or in the evening. And it missed yeah. that golden hour thing. Yeah, yeah. And then um, nighthawk birds came out, and they were hunting for insects. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they were, they were As pa- if it's like, oh, nighttime, yeah. time to hunt. They were patrolling uh, runway 34 right wow. there in Oregon. It was amazing. That's cool. And so I snapped away a, a couple of photos, and uh, and Michael had told me ahead of time, said, you know, he said, Dave, look for this. You know, look for the solar phenomenon and the flares. And you know, he said, if we get real lucky, we'll get the diamond ring effect. And by gosh, you know, as the moon slid away from the, the sun's face just a little bit, um, this uh, upper right corner of the sun was exposed. And it looked like a, a diamond on a ring, on a, on wow. a woman's ring. It was really cool. Um, and that's caused by the craters and the valleys on the moon uh, blocking the sun. Wow. So that was really awesome. It was cold. It got about 20 degrees cooler. 20? Holy Yeah, cow. man. I mean, people were in T-shirts, and all of a sudden, they were like shivering a little bit. Wow. And I saw couples hugging and, and kissing. Oh, wow. And people cheered when the when we had total uh, um, the total blockage of the sun. Yeah. People were cheering. You could just see like a little sliver around the outside of the, of the moon, and that was the sun's corona. And you could see the magnetic fields. If you look through a little bit of a longer lens, you can see... The, the atmosphere just going up and coming down to these giant plumes. Whoa. It was amazing. So I, my daughter, Lauren, called me uh, here from Maryland, yeah. right in the middle of all this, and she goes, Dad, I'm not really seeing it. Yeah, right. But, it's like, uh, hey, what's the big deal? Yeah. Well, most of the U.S. had a little, at least a partial eclipse. Yeah. And uh, But unless you saw the total coverage, it really w- apparently was like a non-event. A good friend of ours, uh, Colin Graham, a pilot, uh, balloon pilot that's out in um, Montana, I talked to him this morning. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, Dave, I went up in the hot air balloon and 
eh, it got a little cooler and it got a little darker, <laughs> but you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. What was the big deal about that? Yeah. And I said, well, Colin, you probably needed to be, you know, motored over, you know, a couple hundred miles further for the West and joined us. Yeah. He said he got interesting reports from other balloonists in Wyoming that had totality and they, they did report really, you know, a spectacular scene. So moving from west to east, we yeah. had uh, Mike Collins in. Uh, he started out with some STEMI motor glider folks mm-hmm. out in Colorado, and they flew towards Colorado. Mm-hmm. Mike said there was a little bit of cloud cover there, hmm. so it kind of hindered the motor gliders. Yeah, and they were out there trying to explore this. Um, and our, our team moving further uh, east, we had Warren Morningstar from uh, our live show mm-hmm. out in Carbondale, mm-hmm. and he sent me a text. That was a big center. Oh, yeah. it was huge because NASA was there doing a play by play, and it's yeah. a Southern Illinois University. And he sent me a text message that basically said, "Oh wow!" So uh, he was lucky there. Had a little cloud cover thing that cleared at the last minute, and awesome. they were in good shape. Awesome. And there, there was a large crowd gathered there. There were yeah. several solar festivals in Carbondale. I heard they closed the airport there too. Couldn't take any more arrivals. So they were expecting about. 400 airplane there and they had a reservation system as as did madras over in oregon as did salem over in oregon too so then um moving a little bit further east uh we had a secret mission yeah you want to tell us about that yet yeah so that that worked out great if you go on the website now you actually you'll see it um this was uh, dave hirschman and chris rose uh, Dave, who's always thinking creatively, it's like he came up with this idea when we started talking about how we were going to cover the eclipse maybe six months ago and said, let's shoot an eclipse at the eclipse. And we all kind of laughed and it's like, no, actually, let's, let's go do that. Like, let's go have some fun and see what happens. Yeah. And so sure enough, they met. Um, the eclipse was coming out of Chicago. Dave came out of uh, the eclipse Frederick. airplane. Yes, the airplane. Thank we you. We should say the eclipse yeah, that's airplane. Right. The, the eclipse jet, the 550, uh, with Chris Rose in tow in the Bonanza, flew west. They met, uh, I don't know, it was like, I think Kentucky or something, and went up and they flew. It's so funny hearing him talk because it's like, you know, typical photo mission is you fly in circles. People you're might not know that. Flying but it's laps. like, yeah, you're, you're flying 360s. And so it's like you can look at their flight aware track and it's like 360s, uh-huh. 360s. And Chris said, he's like, God, is it, is it not going to get dark? Because it's like light, light, light. And then he said, it's like somebody turned off the lights. It's amazing. It was like all of a sudden it was like, yeah. whoosh. And it's like the street lights went on. And uh, Dave said he's got a video in the cockpit. It's like, and then the cockpit goes dark. And so anyway, Chris got this killer killer photo of this eclipse jet and the eclipse behind it and it's just beautiful you Neat know stuff. The, and so he did uh he put a strobe in the back of the bonanza and so he's lighting up the eclipse pilot with the strobe and uh just had a great time so that's a, that's a, re- a real equipment intensive uh maneuver there but yeah I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out yeah less equipment intensive at triple tree mm-hmm. south carolina one of our favorite airfields because of the turf grass strip it's about six seven thousand feet long it's beautiful it is a yeah. beautiful place to go yeah uh, Alyssa cobb was there and she said that uh her report from there were it was just outstanding uh, they also had good weather yeah they had a lot of pilots there they filled up as well they did ian and they also had a they have a good facility for folks coming in from out of town mm-hmm. um uh, pretty deluxe really because they also have a yearly uh, rated controlled aircraft fly-in yeah and my radio control buddies call it full-scale airplane fly-ins yeah. <laughs> as well yeah but Alyssa said it was great there and she was uh, real excited to see that a bunch of Cessna pilots had gotten together to try to work the control tower hmm. unofficially yeah that to help keep things organized and keep people uh, coming in and and a lot of other folks uh, pitched in to help park airplanes cool and you could camp there yeah so the eclipse for us for aviators saw a lot of people camping yeah at airfields with yes. their airplanes yeah we saw Ramona Sky Chick Cox camping out there in cool. Oregon and cool. others and a lot of folks 
took an opportunity to bring their significant other yeah. to the airport where they normally wouldn't because sometimes see it together. Yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of times, and you know, you like to fly and then maybe your significant other doesn't, and there's no reason to, or they are going, Oh, I'll rather drive. Yeah. This is one event that really brought a lot of people to the airport. That's great. And so that was one reason why it was really cool for me to see that and also to embrace the community itself and for the community to in turn embrace other non-aviators. Yeah. I thought cool. that was neat. So yeah, so we're going to have a full report on this uh, in Pilot coming up in the magazine, and then look online because we got a whole host of stories. Oh now yeah, we already we it. already have a bunch of stories at uh, at our AOPA org online also in our e-pilot uh, weekly newsletter that folks should get uh, this Friday. They'll have good information on that too. Yeah, and then um, finally. Our guest. Speaking of good information, uh, Kristen Erickson with NASA. I ran into her in Oregon, and she was uh, she had a wealth of information. She helped put together a lot of the different experiments that citizens were going to do along the way. Don't forget, we had fifty eight uh, balloons that went up into the outer atmosphere to uh, measure different data points, and that was a NASA generated uh, piece of that experiment. Kristen told me that a Gulfstream 3, pilots aboard a Gulfstream 3 out in Washington State were going to be the first pilots to feast their eyes on the eclipse, (laughs) and they were. And they had a couple of these uh, special um, 57 airplanes, uh, XB-57. Oh, yeah, the weather uh, reconnaissance. Yeah. Yeah, So they were out there, too, as well. And then um, Kristen will tell us a little bit more about what NASA did to keep people involved. Okay, we're going to welcome to Hangar Talk this week, uh, Kristen Erickson. She is basically the science director for all the eclipse activities around the country. There's big news about the total solar eclipse that occurred on August 21st. We are live in Madras, Oregon. Welcome to Hangar Talk, Kristen. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about what you do at NASA headquarters. So for the last three years, my role at NASA has really been to help organize the effort across the nation for this amazing celestial event. Now, the rumor had it early on that the eclipse would happen regardless of whether NASA was involved or not. (laughs) Right. And I think that rumor did come true. But when we looked across all of our experiments and our spacecraft and what we could really do, we said this is an opportunity of a lifetime. And indeed, one of the chief scientists from the heliophysics group, that's a fancy word for the solar scientist, she came to me and she said, you're not going to believe what's going to happen in three years. And I said, okay, what? And she said, a total solar eclipse for the first time in this country. Since in in 99 years. That's right, 19 18. World War One. Unbelievable. I wasn't around for that. Well, here we are at this beautiful <laughs> hangar of the Ericsson Collection where there's a lot of those World War II aircraft, aircraft here. Yeah. Indeed, Try indeed. It, so it's kind of fitting, don't you think? Yeah, we're here? it is. And, and and you told me uh, yesterday when we first chatted, you told me that you guys, NASA is here set up and you're anchoring a lot of this coverage from here. You're kind of pitching it around the country. That's right. Where you put all this together. Tell us about how many sites we have uh, connected to the eclipse. So there's been so much preparation, but we had 15 sites that we were broadcasting from over our four-hour real-time show last Monday. It started with the Gulfstream 3, and I know you have a lot of aviation enthusiasts. We do. So Gulfstream 3 that was specially outfitted with optical windows. These windows, it was almost like you could 
put your hand through them. They were so clear. Okay. And these were fashioned so that our scientists could look out the window and have real-time views and then start off the program. So that was the first eyes of NASA. So the first eyes of NASA from the Gulf Stream 3 and that opened the program. It opened the program and then we had, oh my goodness, broadcast sites from Salem, Oregon, here in Madras. We had Idaho Falls and Casper, Wyoming. We had Beatrice, Nebraska with the National Park Service. It's been such a great partner of ours. Yeah. We also had Jefferson City, Missouri. Now some of these sites, Dave, they had cloud cover, so they did not get to right. see the eclipse like we did here well, in Madras. Well, you never know. It's a roll of the dice. Well, you had, and you guys had folks in Carbondale? We had Carbondale. We had the Great Smoky National Park. We had Hopkinsville, Kentucky. In fact, we had three sites in Kentucky. Great. Not all of them were uh, broadcast sites, but we had a lot of engagement. I know a lot of your listeners are about science, technology, engineering, and math. AOPA has got a huge high school curriculum based on that. This is such a cool learning experience. Well, you have no idea. And so the Challenger Centers were one of our major partners. Oh, There's 40, them, sure. 40 across the country that were engaged. We had 69 hundred libraries that Man. we distributed out these safe solar viewing glasses and kits to through another partner of ours in Boulder, Colorado. So, you know, there's just been so many connections. And of course, we had Charleston, South Carolina. We had five sites there. Yeah. And it ended at the uh, U.S. Coast Guard cutter where we launched a high-altitude balloon team. From which the I, coast of South Carolina. From off the coast of South Carolina. So NASA had it covered from the coast of Oregon in a in a Gulf Stream 3, right. all the way through the breadbasket, <laughs> out through South Carolina, and the final experiment from a Coast Guard cutter off the coast of South Carolina, the East Coast. That's right. But, you know, the piece de resistance, and we didn't know this uh -huh. until 90 days, T-minus 90 days, right. the space station, the astronauts. The ISS. Yes, on the International Space Station, adjusted their orbits so that they were, they had three passes of which one, captured totality over Kentucky. Oh, nice. Yeah, so they probably had the best view of the house. Wow, that is cool. So now coordinating all that from your perspective, you said it was a three-year three -year project, right. and, but we were able to get uh, high school folks involved, college people as well. So many. We're pretty excited about that. Tell us a little bit about how that came together. So here at Madras, we have one of the Citizen Kate sites. Okay. So there's 68 teams. Tell the folks what Citizen Kate is. I know because I, know I talked to the, the astronomer, but go ahead. So right. So basically, the, a proposal was provided by Matt Penn mm -hmm. from the National Arizona, Observatory. Right? Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, You're I right. I talked to Matt on the phone. You know, such a passionate guy. And he basically put together a proposal where there would be 68 sites across the path of totality all with the same solar telescope and the same same equipment the same, same equipment computer. trained the same way right. and so basically they would take the same views of the Sun he's looking for the polar plasma plumes oh okay my, that's a mouthful. say that three times fast <laughs> right and so stitching together these sites all with the same equipment think of it as you know 68 data points, if yeah, you will, right. and he'll put together a 90-minute like view. Video. First time 
that the eclipse has been captured in such a long period of time. Because normally it's super duper quick. It goes right. over um, a lot of area that's not uh, habitable by a lot of folks. Maybe a lot right. of times over the oceans, things like that, small islands. This is the first time that, that we've had millions of people viewing it. Well, it's the first time the that a, a total eclipse has been in this country start to finish since the country began. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's neat. And I talked to Matt. He was a great guy. And he told me a little bit about that, you know, the, high, the overall high-end explanation right. of what they're doing over there. So now here in, in uh, Madras, right. uh, Oregon, um, where the sky conditions are, are beautiful, usually, yeah. there are also worries. There were uh, Basically, there were worries about the forest fires, fires, a ton of forest fires around here. Well, I have to say that when we came in, the fires were pretty extreme. We came in on um, Friday morning, right. and there were so many of the cargo planes that were, uh, I think it was almost a 24-7 drop from right. Redmond and from here in Madras, and they did just a fabulous job. But when we came in, the smoke was pretty extreme yeah. on both sides of the city, and the sky was almost red. It was. And we, Paul and I stopped, here? and we pulled over, and we shot a picture of it. it well, was, the sun was red. It was, it was eerily red, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, what have we done? Because, really, this is nature's reality show. It is. You know, she was calling the shots, and... The fact right. that we are T-minus three days out and the sun is red wasn't a good thing. Right. But the next day, it was just beautiful. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, the low humidity. We could see the mountain ranges. Yeah. Do you remember that? The it Mount, was beautiful. Yeah, Mount Jefferson is right uh, right past the runway. And yeah. you know, we're at the uh, Madras Municipal Airport. So right past the runway, you can see Mount Jefferson in all its glory. And then there are, we see several other mountains around right. here. I don't, I'm not a, totally up on my Oregon geography. <laughs> so it's Mount Jefferson and Mount Hood. Okay. And so we saw that yesterday. Now, today's a little hazy. Yeah. And because, uh, again, we are talking T-minus one day out. Right. So today is Sunday. And uh, we're hoping that tomorrow everybody that lives here has said, hey, you know, don't not to worry. Tomorrow, 10 o'clock, it's going to be a beautiful, clear day, low humidity. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Listen, I walked the flight line out there, Kristen, and I saw several pilots that are also astronomers. And they're wow. given back to, some of them are given back to the community by doing some STEM teaching, right. you know, to get young people involved in aviation and in science. So I thought that was really neat. Well, you know, part of the aviation community is just one aspect of why this celestial event is so huge. So, you know, doing all the research on what these eclipses have uh, spurred on over the past, back in 1878, uh -huh. there was this incredibly resurgence of scientific interest mm -hmm. because of that total eclipse. People akin it like the moon landing of last century. Uh, let me give you another example that's kind of an interesting quirk. You know, when the sky goes from day to night and back to day, uh -huh. animals don't know the difference. So one of the things that we're doing with citizen science experiments and partnering with the national uh, zoos along the path, yeah. of which there's 11, yeah. so it's na nature at night, if you will. So in the they, daytime, though. In the daytime. Right. So they are monitoring what the animals and the birds and the crickets do when they think it's nighttime, but Oh my goodness, two minutes later, it's, so it's quick. day again. It's so quick. And the longest point of the uh, totality is in Carbondale. But we're going to get about two minutes here in, in Madras. Right. But so that's wild to think about what, because animals aren't, they're not surfing the internet. They don't know. They're, they're not on the NASA site. They don't know. Site. They're getting their jammies on. They're ready for bed. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's wake up time right again. Right again. So that's interesting. 
So going back to the pilots, so I had the pleasure of being at Oshkosh two weeks ago, and of course that's one of the most spectacular air shows. Yeah. I was giving some presentations on what to expect for the upcoming Total Eclipse, and it was important for them to hear where the sun angle would be in case they wanted to put their airplanes up and, and witness it. In a for, position to get a, an eagle's eye view. Indeed, right. indeed. And so, you know, right around Oregon, which makes it, uh, perfect viewing conditions. The sun angle was about 30 degrees. 30 degrees from the horizon. But when you're talking Carbondale and Hopkinville, Kentucky, it's perpendicular. It's, it's straight up and down. It'd be kind of tough so bang. You, you'd have to be in one of NASA's rockets probably to <laughs> get a better view of that. Yep, if you got it, clearance from FAA. Right, right. There you go. There you go. That's pretty wild. Um, as interesting, uh, uh, sidebar, the FAA um, has a temporary control tower here at Madras because there's so much interest yeah. here. There were, um, they're, they're expecting about 500 air aircraft here wow. before the whole event's over and then I looked outside um, the airport and there are just hundreds of people uh, car camping and uh, tent camping and RV camping and this little city of 6500 is <laughs> gonna be overrun by folks it already kind of is it is there was a, a traffic jam yesterday and we expect it to just get better and better from our from NASA and Exploratorium's perspective but I would like to acknowledge that yesterday there was a tragic event there was you know Saturday Safety is our number one priority right. in everything we do at NASA, and sadly, there was a uh, aircraft accident, an experimental aircraft accident here uh, near the airport, and uh, two people did indeed, indeed lose their lives. So we just want to acknowledge and uh, and send our best wishes out to the families because that was a tragic event. It, it was, it was, and we hate to see anything like that as well. And 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 we're all about safety. AOPA. Uh, offers several safety courses through our ASI uh, Safety Institute. Hopefully we'll learn from things like this. L let's um, take it back to the, um, the NASA stuff again. Sure. You showed me the coolest map yesterday, right. and it ran down how many um, aircraft spacecraft. and what's different kinds oh, of sure. aircraft, spacecraft. I'll start with the you, Do you have that, that chart with you? I Actually, it's um, over by where our filming well, location is. Now. I do. We call it the infographic. It's yeah, yeah. probably on version 30 at this point, but uh, indeed, we have have 11 spacecraft that we'll be observing between us and our partners. We have, and I'll start with the aircraft yeah. uh, first because that's um, so cool on what we were able to accomplish. So we talked a little bit about the G3, the Gulfstream right. 3, and uh, what's unique about that for the first time is that there will be a real-time downlink. So you and Paul can appreciate how difficult it nice. is, you know, especially when you're at 45,000 feet. Um, you know, to be able to, to ensure that technology. But we also have two WB-57s. So now, be these are jet aircraft. These are two-seaters, right? Designed probably in the 60s, 70s? I don't yeah, know. Could be. They're, they're, are, but they're cool, cool jet aircraft. Now, you told me yesterday, you corrected me already, they already had... Uh, uh, cameras on the That's nose right. of the aircraft. That's right. But there's something different about them now. So the scientists put in a proposal and what they're basically doing is infrared observations. Okay. And so those are, that's a scientific observation that'll be really cool. When you think about, you know, observing the changes in that sun and the sun's atmosphere known as the corona. Okay. You know, because really the moon is nature's best sunblock. Okay. There's no other way that we can look on in the innermost part of that corona without the moon in front of it because it's the, the sun is normally so bright you cannot you cannot observe it well we do like have, that we do have space-based coronagraphs okay that will be looking at the event but the disc is too wide so okay. it's only because that perfect 
diameter of the moon that we can see the innermost corona. I see what you're and saying. that's why the scientists are so okay. excited about these total eclipses. Okay, I got you now. I got you. So some of these eclipse chasers, I think their record is uh, is Joe Rao. He's in an airplane or will be in an airplane Alaska Airline. Yeah. What they did back in March of 2016 was a phenomenal story, and Joe Rao made that happen. So Alaska Airlines is doing it again, and they're going to observe the eclipse, and Joe is going to be on that. And I think he's seen 30. Four wow. total That's solar cool. eclipses. That's I think he holds the record. That's so. a record. I think this will be my second. I saw one Did in, you? in Atlanta way back when. Well, tell me be what to expect. Oh, well, yeah, I wish I could remember that oh, far back. Dave. But I'll tell you what, the people here in Oregon, they had one in 79. Yes, that's right. And uh, Which is interesting. And we were t chatting about this yesterday in Carbondale. There's an eclipse in the future that's all, all that's going to go through Carbondale again, but a different direction. It's crazy math. And so what happens in 2024, which is when the country will see the next total eclipse, it'll come right up through Dallas, through Carbondale again, up through really the Ohio Valley, and then off into the Atlantic Ocean. So kind of from the south to the north Correct. through uh, that part of Illinois. But what you look Texas. at the path, people say X marks the spot in Carbondale because oh, wow. it'll go right through there with the max totality again. That's crazy. It is crazy. That and is so that's happening in 2024. So NASA has invested quite a lot of resources in Carbondale. We have Bob Burr, who's from the Southern Illinois University, and he has been leading. He's been working for seven years uh -huh. towards this event, and he'll be busy for the next seven years, too, for the 2024. That's great. And so we we have a four-day festival that's going on right now in that's Carbondale, awesome. Illinois. That's awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. I know it's, it's like a, ho a hosted event. Basically, people that are there can can tune in on the internet. I think they also have some audio commentary. Exactly, basically a play-by-play, -play, right? Right, right. That's pretty cool. So what's um, happening in the telescope views? We have two okay. that NASA is pulling from because what we wanted to do was to we always have you know triple redundancy in Need everything it. we do. Yeah. So we have a telescope feed that will be brought to the nation here in Madras and then another one in Carbondale, Illinois. Uh -huh. So those two feeds, you know, in the breadbasket, as you say, will be the spectacular views that the nation can see without any programming, without any kind of, you know, speakovers or anything like that. So that'll be pretty neat if you just want to dial in and enjoy what the sun so will be doing. Be, so there'll be two telescope feeds from different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just looking at the sun. Oh, and right. has that, and as that moon crosses from right to left, uh -huh. so that's the other thing that I learned. You know, when you see a lot of these videos, uh -huh. it's left to right, but the moon actually is right to left, and it's because those telescope views are reversed. Okay. Yeah. So that was a, you know, all these seasoned eclipse watchers like yourself, Dave. Yeah. I um, wish. Have have informed <laughs> us that we really need to assume that folks don't know. No. So when we went the extra mile with the, the glasses. safety tools yeah. and the glasses, right, and to and get to the word practice. out, the word out about that too. That's right. That's that key. was extraordinary. So you know, I hurt my eye way back when I was. Really? I didn't know better. 
better and I look through a long lens uh, on my on my still photo camera, a Nikon 400-35 lens. I had uh, neutral density filters on it, but um, it was just a couple of seconds and it really was magnified so much. Oh. I still see little sunspots every now and then. Really? But I'm well, super careful this time. I've got yes. the glasses. I've got a, a different filter for my lens. I am set up because NASA spread the word. Well, it was it was an interesting series of events. So my boss was on a, a T-minus 60-day news conference. And uh -huh. so Thomas Zerbuchen, who is a seasoned uh, heliophysics, he basically said simply, just practice in advance. And so all of us were looking at each other saying, well, of course. So right. I was out practicing with my family. I bought all these different eclipse glasses yeah. off of, you know, like everyone else, off of Amazon and whatnot. If y'all could see what she's doing oh, now, Kristen goodness. is folding I them have, out like a deck of cards. I have all, and this is just a <laughs> smattering. Some people collect T-shirts. I collect solar viewers. They're cool. So this is the one that started it all, Dave. And this one, I went outside and I was practicing, and my eyes hurt hurt oh. and so I looked at the uh -oh. ISO certification I think N well that's crazy it's it's certified and everything went in and looked at the fine print yeah and indeed this was not certified from the manufacturing oh. site oh. so it said made in China oh, gotcha. and it was this pair of glasses that really started it all so I went back Monday at, at uh, work we uh, had a emergency team meeting. We put out a press release that yeah, Friday. We yeah. partnered with the AAS. So I really have to credit Rick Feinberg because he led a team at our partner organization, AAS, and they had groups that would go out and get the ISO certification certificates okay. at American Paper Optics right. and Rainbow Symphony right. and Lunt and all the ones that we've listed since then. Yeah. But he went a step further. He basically talked about where you could purchase the glasses okay. and listed them all That's on their good. site. So it was an extraordinary effort, yeah. and we all owe him a debt of gratitude. And my, my daughter, who's 14, she saw it on Entertainment Tonight. She said, Dad, make sure you get the kind that has these ISO numbers on them. And so I did. Wow. But, yeah, but that it's could be, not could be that, millions of people that could be affected. It's not just the ISO numbers. It's also the manufacturing right, location. Where it came from. That's sure, right. So sure. here we have on ours. Gotcha. They didn't have theirs on, on theirs at all. And you can actually see see how flimsy they these are. are they are you know they you are. can kind of hear it your audience can kind of hear it but it's not just about being wrinkled it's crinkled if you will and that was kind of the the that's you know the subjective right right well that's um i i, I uh, stuck with the uh, american paper, paper optics, optics yeah, yeah in, and, uh, in nashville and, tennessee yeah yeah amazing and they're doing gangbusters of business but yeah. a lot of places are sold out uh, right now those oh, things so. so we gave ours away so we had a more foundation that we partnered with and they donated two million glasses Yep, what uh, two million glasses. What we did at NASA after this uh, safety concern is we ordered another half a million. Wow. And we distributed out. We were going with the underserved. We Good. had folks. Good idea. So one of the stories, uh, we called it the double header. So there's a baseball team in, in Oregon, the Salem Volcanoes. You okay. may have heard of them. They're a double A team. And they were having a, a baseball a, a game. Uh -huh. Well, they've totally embraced this. And so they have their own jerseys. And so we have a broadcast site with Salem Volcanoes. For the eclipse. For the eclipse. But we also, in Charleston, River Dogs. Oh, yeah. So the doubleheader is yeah, yeah. a virtual baseball throw from Salem to Charleston, catching it there with Dr. Nice. Paul Hertz, our NASA's biggest cool. baseball fan. And they have their 
separate jerseys. There's another team. What are they? The uh, the Lexington Blowfish in Kentucky. Lexington, South Carolina. Oh, okay. That's outside of uh, Columbia. Yep. Okay. And Columbia has a ball club too. They have glow in the dark jerseys wow. that they auctioned off. I mean, people the are Eclipse. really embracing this. The Eclipse is a cool thing. I mean, I, I hope that uh, that most of America is able to view it safely yes, or was indeed. able to view it safely. Right. Um, now, let, let me take it. Let me take it right back to the um, the aviation aspect of it super sure. quick before we wrap up because you gave oh. us so much information. So going by the numbers, we got the the G threes. We got the two W. WB B-57s. We got the um, space the, station, the ISS, and we got what about the balloons? You didn't oh, hit me with the gosh. Montana balloons. So Angela Desjardins, who is an amazing force of nature, she's at Montana State, and she's been leading over 50 teams of high-altitude balloons through the National Space Grant Consortium. And what are they fixing to do with these, this little stamp you said that yeah, was going to be on yeah. What's so that we about? Have we have these high altitude balloons so they go 80,000 to maybe 110,000 feet uh -huh. they have real-time coverage of what the eclipse looks like right at the edge of space at if the you edge will. of our atmosphere at the edge of so our, does our atmosphere little, go to about eight what does it go no, to it's a little higher okay yeah the okay. ionosphere is the okay. one that but it's high enough to where they're going to get an incredible view I gotcha she's tested with these kids real time and you know what they did Tell me. they figured out how to actually have a live feed from each one of those balloons. That is too cool. So stream.live, so I think it's eclipse.stream.live, okay. has 50 simultaneous real-time live streams from the balloons that, that these kids amazing. figured out. Wow, that is amazing. It is truly incredible. And so who knows what these kids are going to accomplish from this experience. That's great. Well, the next generation, they're being exposed to science, science, technology, engineering, and math. The folks could aspire to, to, to do what you do one day, help Real direct a bunch time. of experiments around the country. It's all about that personal connection, that authentic, you know. And making it fun, kids. too. Now, what happens if one of those balloons don't go off right? Well, we have 57 others. But from their perspective, that's what happens with NASA. Oh, we gotcha. learn and we test I again see. for the next time. And right. it's all about that whole process. The backup, too. Yep. Getting that data back afterwards yeah. is what it's all about, but the whole process of getting there is just important. For the next time, right. And in a few years from now, we'll have we'll have that opportunity again That's in 2024. Right. So one of the things um, I shared with you yesterday was just really just, you know, there's been so many coincidences, like uh, me, you know, Kristen Erickson being here at the Erickson collection of, of air birds, that right? Cool. Of war birds. But um, what also happened was... Just because of a, a conversation with the head of planetary science, we were able to put an astrobiology experiment on each one of those high-altitude balloons. Gotcha. So we were having a conversation, and, and uh, Dr. Jim Green says, well, how many balloons are you going to have up there, Kristen? And I said, well, it's probably going to be over 50. Mm -hmm. All along the path, all along the path. He goes, you know, and this was five weeks out. Right. He says, is there a way that we can uh, put some uh, microbes on there? And I said, well, that's a little scary. Yeah. Well, what happened in the resulting five weeks with Angela? help is that there's a little coupon about the size of a band-aid okay. that's affixed to the balloons and in that band-aid is a microbe that simulates a potential bacterium that may be in the same altitude conditions uh -huh. radiation conditions temperature conditions on mars oh wow yeah so that's going to really set the stage for what we could experience one day 
on the red planet. Perhaps. We're just getting that data, and now we have 50 data points, and this is what these kids were able to do. It's so creative, so much energy. Love it. And it gets high school and college people together and professors, you know, and Ph.D. folks all well. working together as one team, and they'll get to see those results and publish papers. Well, let's let's take it back to Mars real quick. Would you okay. would you ever want to be on a on a mission to Mars yourself? You know, um, I I get vertigo in elevators, so I'm fine being a terra firma <laughs> kind of girl. But I tell you, when I was at Oshkosh and seeing all those airplanes and those night air shows, and giving those talks, we had this one pilot come after the talk, and he said, hey, Kristen, how many um, how many airports are going to be in the path of totality? And, of course, I knew my numbers on my parks and right. my zoos and my yeah. libraries and all that. And I'm like, oh, I'm uh, not quite sure. So. Stump the professor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we had these interns, these absolutely brilliant interns at NASA. Uh, and so I sent an email back, and I said, find out how many airports in the path of totality, and let's get it posted. Yeah. Within a week, those interns were able to count up, have links. They contacted, and we put up a map on nice. eclipse2017.nasa.gov. Okay. Guess how many airports are in the path of totality? Paul, do you know? Paul, she's asking Paul Hare from AFP. Because I know, because I know, to, Dave knows. I'm going to guess about 240. Wow, like wow, you are absolutely right. I was so close. I figured I'd be close. It's 243. <laughs> I've been writing about this for like three months. Well, so. I, you know, obviously you know your stuff, Dave. No, so no, no, it I, was I pretty out. impressive. I, I would have guessed something far, far less. Well, there's a lot of general aviation airports, and they're scattered throughout the nation's breadbasket. And that's one thing that we uh, like to promote at AOPA is the fact that general aviation it really is key to our economy. It's a it's a proving ground for a lot of the uh, commercial pilots that fly us around on, on you know Southwest and Delta jets and things like that. So, but GA actually serves a lot of uh, America that's kind of rural and they need a way to get around. So that's cool. Well, and you know the other coincidence was yeah. yesterday was Nation, National Aviation Day. And I had forgotten that. Oh, I yeah. had to remind you. Yeah, well, I'm yeah, in, yeah. I, Okay, I feel I feel okay now. But yeah, so NASA is with you when you fly. So our the first A in NASA's aeronautics. Oh, man. And, and we're all about safety. We're all about pushing that leading edge, right. pun intended, quiet aircraft. Right. And, you know, icing technologies, all that kind of stuff. But you're right. It's not just about the CA. It's about the GA. Right. And, of course, you know, again, looking at the history. So We're here surrounded we are. by these World War II warbirds at the Erickson Museum here in, in Madras. It's, it's quite so a sight. It's so inspirational. Right. And, so next year is NASA's 60th anniversary. Oh, man, great. So imagine, you know, what the Wright brothers in 1903. Could imagine. Would, could imagine right. what in, has indeed, happened. Indeed. And, and for these kids in 60 years, in their lifetime, in our lifetime, Dave, yeah. I'm yeah, not sure yeah. you're yeah. probably younger than I am, but I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, wow, in one person's lifetime, look at NASA has been to every object in the solar system and beyond. That's amazing. And when I say and beyond, it's because New Horizons, once it passed Pluto, it's on its way to a new object. Yeah, we yeah. don't know what it quite looks like yet. We'll find out when it gets there. We're going to find out in a couple of years. That's but amazing. It's in 60 years all this has happened. And now stu and people who are just getting into aviation or some of the STEM students, they really yeah. could have something to aspire to, oh. to be a NASA scientist one day or, right. or an astronaut even still but you the know, future. 
I, I tell folks it's not just about you know the smart kids that right. work for NASA. We need all folks, all walks of life, all diversities, young and old. We need we need actually we need more people. We need more females. We need well, to represent diversity even a little bit better. The cool thing about NASA is all our data is free online, and computers, quite frankly, don't know who's on the other end. Good point. So. Being able to have access to data so much more in our in in the young people's lifetimes yeah, than ours, used to it, yeah. you know, they can do whatever they want because yeah. the knowledge is at their fingertips. I think the next generation will be very involved. We're already seeing some evidence of that as well. You guys have a lot of outreach activities. In fact. For the folks who didn't go to the nasa.gov slash eclipse site, it was amazingly chock full of information, not just safety things, but uh, and a lot about the missions that you guys had, but it just really thoroughly explained everything that folks could expect during an eclipse. I found it extremely enlightening. Well, thank you, Dave. We worked really hard to try and think of every single angle, you know, the 4-H folks and the FAA and just every single community-based group, try to engage them and really give them the materials that they could use and make it their own events. We had 120 events, official NASA events around the country that took place for the eclipse. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And you were, uh, you were kind of quarterback in a lot of that information well, at so some we point, appreciate that yeah it was a quarterback and then at some point you just basically got to say what do you need from me what can i do That's for you awesome. and just and just step back and let it roll well you let it roll really well and well, you helped you, us Dave. out on the podcast i tell you what kristen we really appreciate you coming aboard at a uh, hangar talk i know you have a lot of appointments here in, yeah. Ma in uh, madras and i don't want to keep you uh too long but uh kristen erickson from nasa thank you again tell us one more time where folks could could grab some of that information at the back in after the eclipse is all over. You bet. The eclipse doesn't end. It's going to continue. Look for the data downloads from the moon, okay. from the furthest outreach of space called the Discover Mission. Uh -huh. We'll see those views of that shadow creeping across the country. Yeah. And all that will be shown on eclipse2017.nasa.gov. Awesome. Thanks again, Chris. We appreciate it. Hopefully we'll catch up with you back in Washington, D.C. Anytime, Dave. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. I, uh, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm so glad you got to go and uh, everybody had a great time. And um, I, I was looking, there's going to be one in, I think it's seven years come not too far from here. So yeah, it's going to go definitely going to have to check it out. The eclipse is going to go from the south to the north. It starts near Dallas. And I guess folks are probably making their plans now. Yeah. And Carbondale is going to be in the center of it again. You're kidding. Yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> center of the universe. Crisscross. Yeah. So as uh, Kristen tells us a little bit about that too. But uh, I'll tell you what, uh, let's make plans now so that we don't have to scramble at the last minute for a motel. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for uh, joining us this week. I think that's all the time we have. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Listen, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk. Email us at hangertalk at aopa.org. Don't forget, we're also on iTunes and at Sporty's Takeoff app. All right. We'll see you next time. See you, Ian. Oh!